Welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Pro Streamtime Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead here at Sports Pro Media, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. So, Nick, we're fresh back from New York City. You know, I'm over my jet lag. I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, unfortunately, I heard when we were out there, it was the first time and only time it snowed this year. But, you know, other other than that, you know, Nick, I can't complain. It was uh, City Field's a nice venue. I always like being in a ballpark. Makes me feel at home. Um, you know, what were your, what are just some of your takes in your, your whirlwind time in New York City? Because you weren't there for very long. No, I was, I was in and out pretty quickly. And in hindsight, for those that might be traveling from, say, Europe to the U.S., do not travel in the evening from the U from Europe because that means you land at stupid o'clock in the evening in, in New York and then you will definitely get stuck in two hours of security and customs at JFK Airport, which may end up that I got to bed by two thirty in the morning or something, which is equivalent of seven thirty in the morning my time. So, anyway, long story short is I learned the hard way to if you're going to do a short trip, don't fly late at night, uh, at least going the other way. But no, it was a really good experience. I, I've been I've been to City Field last year, um, but I really like the vibe of a ballpark, particularly like the Mets one. You really, it's really quite on top of the action and really feels quite intimate an experience, <laughs> except for when it was, you know, basically pounding down snow or actually the snow was going sideways and then sometimes it was going upwards because it was. Uh, I think the, the governor of the state of New York uh, actually called a state of emergency in upstate New York. So we were getting a little bit worried about a few people having problems to get to the event. But uh, no, all, all worked out in the end, though. We did learn the hard way that this 10-minute walk from our hotel was Arctic. Arctic those, those those winds were absolutely Arctic hitting us uh, as walking across. So uh, I, we learned the hard way that you know a little 10-minute, five-minute taxi ride was well worth the investment on the on day two or three for myself. Yeah, well, you know, it might have been a little bit of cold outside, but we brought some extra hot heat when it came to the content on stage, yes. Nick. There can be no doubt said about that. Lots of very big name speakers. I think there um, wasn't a premium broadcaster platform rights holder that we did not have on stage to hear from. So that's what we're going to start this episode off with. Just a little bit of top line feedback, some of the takeaways that, you know, we would share with our, our listeners here that maybe didn't get to attend. And, you know, I think the biggest thing coming away from it, part of it because of the breaking news that was there, but also just the impact it has on the industry is that everyone wanted to talk about RSNs. Um, that was on stage content. It was also the big topic of our invite, invite only closed door exec form where, you know, everybody was talking about that, you know, like I said, we, we heard from Michael Schneider, the, the CEO and GM at Valley sports. And then within an hour, uh, they filed bankruptcy. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of moving parts while, while we were out there. So what, what was your takeaway maybe from that particular space and sort of how you saw other people in the audience kind of reacting to that situation? Yeah, around RSN specifically, I, I mean, it's, it's still an area that I think we all talk about it quite a lot from, from our, our lens over in Europe. I mean, the way I describe what we're trying to do at Sports Pro is be a bit of a bridge, bridge between UK and Europe, and and the US, and that's actually one of the things we did on stage, Chris. The the session to kick off the event was talking about the the differences between those two those two industries and those two markets. But the RSM ones is obviously quite unique um, to the US in in many ways, shapes, and forms. And what what really struck me is that uh, no one really knows what to expect from this this whole change. There's a few people that have a good idea, but we were talking to um, some of the sports teams uh, out there. 
And I think this might surprise a lot of people because of the, the valuations on some of the sports teams. They have no idea or no no idea how to tackle this situation if if the RSNs were to shut down, if the or if the the rights were handed back to the respective teams to go and sell or to go direct to consumer. They're not built for that. They're not built like even some of the media businesses or sorry, some of the sports properties are in Europe that have established some sort of OTT approach with their businesses because a lot of it's already centralized with the NBA and the NFL and those guys. So the big thing is that if RSN World does continue to, it's called breakdown for want of a better world word, it's going to have pretty major ramifications and pretty major changes across the industry. You're going to see what it could get to is you're going to see possibility that some teams will go more direct to consumer. Some will just try and sell the rights on to someone else who wants to target that market locally. And others all will be scratching the ground and maybe hand them back to the NBA to do the work for them. I mean, the NBA is not going to leave them high and dry. I'm using the NBA as an example because they're the ones, the ones, one of the ones that were uh, sort of at the forefront of those conversations. But yeah, that's just, it's got major ramifications and pretty significant money. Remember that for context, again, RSNs, I'm not going to tell you what an RSN is, but more their value of the sports rights that sit with them are as high as they are for any team in their respective market. Like, for example, uh, well, let's think about the New York Knicks, right? The New York Knicks sit in New York. Um, obviously, the New York State is their core market for selling those rights. They're the most premium, right? Because that's the core fan base. So think of your most valuable rights being handed back to the sports property to deal with. That's a big, big situation to deal with. And I can only think of, say, the the league un- situation when, with the French Football League was probably the only one that I can think of in Europe that might compare a little bit where there's a there's a deal sitting in place with a um, an agency or a broadcaster and that gets handed back to the league to try and do a, a last-minute discount deal to keep their sport on, on, the, on the air. So, yeah, pretty big ramifications. Everyone's talking about it, even if they're not affected by it. They're also trying to work out what it means for, for the rest of the industry. Now, by the time this podcast has come out, we'll have released an episode with said Michael Schneider Valley Sports being moderated by our friend William Mao um, from Octagon, who joined us on the Streamtime podcast and talked a little bit about RSNs before. Um, and we also have kind of local U.S. American marketplace expert Pat Craig's giving his breakdown of the situation. So if you want to learn more about that and you, you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back um, and check that out. Now, you brought up the NBA, Nick, and one of the things I found interesting from the 12 months is... 12 months ago, it felt like the NFL Sunday ticket was a big conversation people were trying to talk about. Well, now the only major sports right in America that's still left to bring up is the NBA. I don't know if it was just the sessions I was sat in or different things like that. I didn't feel like, given this is the last deal that has any sort of runway left, that it wasn't really a big topic or not as big of a topic as I thought it might have been. Do you think that is to do with the fact that there's just this foregone conclusion that it's going to go back to exactly where it was already at and there's not much uh, mystery behind that. It's just about what's the final dollar amount going to be or is it perhaps maybe the NBA just frankly isn't as big of a, a needle mover as the NFL? I, I don't think it's the the former, which is that the, the, it's, a, it's a done deal for whoever it is, whoever's uh, up, in, up in the running for it. You know, for example, the, the Sunday ticket deal, the reports are, or not the reports, the stories I've heard from people within the industry is, YouTube did come in at the 11th hour to, to snatch those rights away from, from Apple. And so I think that still could be something that is achieved with whoever is the front running here 
uh, with the NBA's rights. Um, what's interesting, I think we heard is that the Warner Brothers Discovery uh, CEO or the sports CEO, Louis Sibawasa, he was basically re- reiterating how important those rights are to uh, Warner Brothers Discovery Sports. It was only a few months ago that his boss, the chairman, David Zaslav, was being a bit more bully-like with his approach about the value of those of those sports rights. Um, so Luis much taking much more partnership approach in his his sort of communications about those those rights. I think everyone look. I think everyone. I, I was thinking about you had Amazon. We asked about them. Kevin Mayer talked to him a bit about Rick Cordella talked about that. He's the, the the president of NBC Sports and Peacock. I think they're all being a bit coy because it's it's up in the air. Rick's take was a bit more. We'll pay for it if the price is right. We won't if they're not. Uh, they're not willing to be. Uh, paying over the odds for it they have a they have a sort of their own approach and it has to achieve a certain certain set of objectives and they won't overpay for it so he didn't seem as confident um, but that could just be a bit of a negotiation tactic Uh, i think they're all being coy because they don't really know what to expect i think apple's got to be a serious player i think amazon are looking at it but amazon have been perhaps the the most pragmatic in the u.s about not overbidding for something with the exclusion of of thursday night football which we'll talk about a little bit later on. So yeah, I, really interesting. I think everyone's going to be watching this pretty closely. It could be the opportunity for Apple to make another wave. It could be the opportunity for, for YouTube to really put its foot down in terms of being a, a player in the premium rights market alongside the NFL Sunday ticket deal, or it could be business as usual, or a bit of both. It could be a little bit of a, a dabbling in from all those guys. I can't imagine they give away the TNT and Warner Brothers Discovery relationship because of the investment uh, of say market of um, magazine and editorial content that they put alongside the NBA. But if the price is right, we'll see. Well, speaking of the NFL Sunday ticket um, and business quo, you know, we, I had the opportunity to interestingly on back-to-back days interview uh, John Cruz at YouTube and their sports partnership team, and then speak to Blake Stutchin, who's leading up the NFL and their digital team. And basically I got to talk all things NFL Sunday ticket. So you know, there will become a podcast down the road that's going to be all things that we're going to have those interviews back to back. Give me your take on whether or not you agree with this. You know, for as much talk as there was, and you talked about Apple TV coming in, it almost felt as if, not to say it's not big news, because it'll cost a lot of money and it'll include the NFL. So the NFL is never secondary news. Did it almost feel like the industry was hoping it might have been Apple or Amazon just based on the foundational shift it may have had on the ecosystem where YouTube TV is unique in that it is a streaming only platform compared to what DirecTV was as a linear platform. But almost YouTube TV, we've seen business models like this work where it's a you know pretty much a subscription only model, whereas Apple, it would have solidified their interest in sports with what they're doing with MLS or it would have signaled Amazon's continued investment in the sports space. Do you think, I don't know, maybe it's my sense with it going to YouTube TV, like, yes, there's some things to be excited about, but at the same time, it's maybe not as groundbreaking as what some of the other potential partners could have been. Mm, Yeah. It's interesting question. I would say that if Amazon had secured those rights, then it would double down as them being a real serious home and partner of the NFL. Thursday night football is one thing, but if they layer that in there, that's a whole different proposition. If, if Apple had done it, then again, alongside the MLS, that's two bulky sets of rights that they would have played with, which would have been a pretty significant moment for the industry to, to follow. 
I think with YouTube TV, I think it has some of that as well. You know, they have the virtual MVPD uh, product, which is by all accounts, the market leader, uh, effectively being a cable replacement sort of proposition um, that provides people a lot of that linear experience that they're looking for, um, but in a, in a streaming format. The fact that they can bring that into there does change the whole prop YouTube TV proposition, really, to bring something quite significant. The, the subscription journey is going to be, I think, what everyone is really interested in seeing how that all plays out. Some people are thinking it may be a shift to a more team-related subscription product. So rather than just being a, an annual subscription for access to Sunday Ticket, you you might be signing up because you want to just subscribe to the Bengals content and, and being more spliced and diced that way which would be cool to see if, if that is the case. And I, I think it's a pretty significant deal to have because they haven't really ever dabbled into media rights. YouTube haven't for, for well, pretty much forever that I can think of on the sports rights side. So for them to make such an investment is pretty, pretty significant. Um, the question is, again, like we've had with Apple and others, is this just the beginning or is this a, t- is this a, a toe dip? Uh, and then they'll wait and see how it all, all plays out. I just can't understand why any of these guys, these big major tech businesses would do a toe dip and then not be ready to back it up with further moves unless they really didn't know what they were doing and really weren't sure about the strategy. From things I've heard, Apple are in the, oh, we don't really know what we're doing. We're giving things a go with the MLS thing. And it's it's a relative punt for them um, with, with a high ceiling if it pays off. So... Look, yeah, let, let's see. I, I did really like, yeah, I've always talked about YouTube as very highly. I like what they do um, as a platform for the whole industry to be getting value from. But this is a whole different ball game to the existing um, role that it plays for many of the sports um, properties across the world. This is, this is opening up a whole new channel uh, and a new form of relationship that now their door is going to be getting knocked down by pretty much every major rights holder looking to do a similar deal. Well, speaking of the NFL, you know, that's probably – sports property number one across the globe. I don't think, uh, you know, we can talk about how popular the the sport of football is as a whole, but if you're talking about an individual league, NFL is probably top of the top. Now, one of the things we heard, it's seemingly time and time again in, across all these conversations, and probably even more true in the USA than perhaps in Europe, just based on the amount of sports available, but everything's about premium in America, right? Everything's about premium. Everything, premium is the needle mover still. Um, people... And the major leaders we had speaking at this event, again, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Amazon, uh, DAZN and and Peacock and so forth, they all talk about the importance of premium still, that they have to lean on that to drive their businesses. Without it, they don't have a business or they don't have that hook that they need in a market where consumers are fickle. They, They will move from property to property on a whim if you don't have what they want. Um, and that's just the reality of it. So I just felt like, yeah, that was reiterated even further. Those those sort of niche sports properties have audiences there, but they don't provide enough scale to provide any sort of impact for these for these big guys. So, yeah, it's largely business as usual. The the richer get richer is kind of the the model I would say. And in markets like the US, if this once this NBA deal is done, I'd I'm really fascinated to see what does come uh, next for those guys. I reckon you'll probably see a lot of these US major US streaming uh, bodies get a bit, not bored, but need to make a move, need to make a play. And that's when you might start to see some more moves outside of the US into other markets, perhaps. Well, speaking of other markets, you know, we did several comparisons, but, you know, I feel like at OTT Madrid, we talked 
quite a bit about fast channels. I'm not sure maybe if we heard as much news about that in the USA as we maybe thought, or just maybe what the general take is in the USA versus Europe when it comes to advertising business models. Yeah, lots of talk about advertising. Um, I, and look, the advertising world is just so much more mature in the US than than Europe that, that that's a legitimate revenue stream and monetization part. We took, I heard Rick Cordella talk about that from Peacock's point of view and the NBC's point of view. That is one of their core decision-making KPIs for when they're looking at a, a set of sports rights. It's one of the reasons the NFL is so valuable for them because it's such a great advertising product. So it moves the needle for subscriptions and it's got great advertising because you can put ads in all the respective breaks that you have in the uh, the feed itself So uh, or, or in the match itself. So that's that. The advertising bit is such a core component where we haven't even really scratched the surface in Europe. And then you think about fast. What was really interesting about fast, I think, is that I actually didn't hear as many people talk about that with as much excitement as I did in Europe. Now, think about the US. It's like, what, four times the many, as many channels, I think, was what the, the numbers we, we shared in the, that opening intro. So the marketplace is bigger, but it doesn't seem to be that everyone's expecting it to be this great great revenue drive, driver for the big for the big players maybe for the more, the more smaller niche um, platforms but it's not on their sort of radar as a primary business driver yet which I found a bit curious I, I did that did surprise me a bit maybe it's also because the the controls of fast channel sit with the operating systems and those respective platforms don't have as much um, control and also because they do have mature advertising businesses that already exist so the need to open up advertising revenue streams in a fast product isn't as prevalent as perhaps it is in europe that's a guess though fair one of the the interesting things i thought i i saw in the 12 month window is that it seemed we had a lot of our european guests coming over to the ott usa event you know how much do you think it has, the marketplace has changed? What are the, the value, even whether it's the Europeans coming to the USA or even just some of the people we saw at the event were former speakers of ours that, you know, they were coming to the event just to listen to content. They weren't even necessarily there because, oh, I've got to be up on stage. Well, maybe it's because they're drinking our Kool-Aid and that <laughs> is, um, you know, that we deliver great events, but also that the US is typically five to 10 years ahead of what's happening uh, in Europe. Um, and that's that's definitely prominent in the media side. I think that's that, that's absolutely a, ma- a massive part of it. I talked to one person that you know, we, we speak to a lot. They, he took several pages of notes about the strategies that are being implemented over there. And he's someone who works closely in this space. So if he feels like he's learning from those guys, then I think that's a sign that they are doing things differently, um, really. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of interest from the wider industry at the US. We're always looking to the US. We are, as well as people at that event and at our event in Madrid, we do bring people from the US to that to sort of share a different angle and, and lens on everything. You know, in many ways, the US is the market leader. I think in many ways, though, I think we get a bit lost in that because the US is in very much one big major market. So you can do a lot of things and they can be successful. But in Europe, you have a very fragmented market and it's a lot more complex, the languages and the cultures and the sets of rights that you have to deal with. So I I don't know. I, I feel like maybe they're, they're looking at opportunities on how to deliver, deliver a better broadcast product and experience. I think that's something you can really get away from the US. But in my view, one of the things that I think the US focuses too much on is, is kind of like pricing, pricing strategy. Pricing is the value proposition for sign up to this service and you get loads of stuff 
for not very much money. That's the sell. There's no brand loyalty. They haven't been able to build that relationship with customers in the same way. So for what it's worth, those coming over from, from Europe to the US, I wouldn't be paying a lot of attention to that approach because I think there's more to I think there's more to it. Maybe I'm a bit um, too idealistic in this instance, but there's there's more to a platform, more to a broadcaster's relationship with sports fans than am I cheaper than the competitor, which seems to be the the way people look at things. Well, one of the interesting things when you're talking about pricing, you know, more and more we're seeing is the the world of bundling and memberships. But two of the people you spoke to had slightly different opinions on what the benefit is or what the approach is when it comes to bundling. Yeah, I guess it leans into the, the line we've used before about the come for the sports, stay for the entertainment line, which we've used for Fubo TV. But indeed, for Luis from Warner Brothers Discovery, he was he was sort of saying, saying a similar line. In fact, Andrew Georgiou said it for us at um, the Madrid event who we've had on the pod uh, before as well. I'm trying to remember exactly what Kevin's line was, Kevin Mayer's line. Uh, I think it was basically that bundling only works if gosh i'm putting i might be putting words in his mouth here uh bundling only works for sports if it's with sports and not bundling it with the entertainment product it doesn't add enough value as part of a wider entertainment bundle i think it was something along those lines and in fact when i was talking to marie donahue from from prime she did talk about the fact that the way they measure success isn't um is more to do with the prime membership product and like just how how they engage with it not necessarily even how they drive subscriptions so i don't know the bundle the bundle is something that i think has been widely talked about against that whole value proposition and disney has been big on that with hulu and disney and espn disney plus it seems like that some people are really bought into it um peacock's the same on the bundle they're pretty much aligned with the warner brothers discovery line but Kevin was certainly against that. And that was one of the things he wanted me to talk about, obviously, when we went on stage. Well, I know we have lots more takeaways from the event, but you actually did nice, nicely and conveniently kind of lead us into the next part of this episode where we're going to hear from Amazon's Marie Donahue. She was also the first ever Sports Pro Exec of the Year at our OTT Awards back in November, which we were able to award her a trophy. I'm not sure if she was prepared for how heavy it would be. Um, but, you know, Nick, maybe it's worth just giving people a little bit of heads up into that conversation you had with Marie um, and giving them an idea of sort of what we're going to hear over the next sort of half hour in the back end of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Marie is, so she's the VP of Global Sports for Prime Video. I think that's the job title. And she's been in the industry for, for a long time working at ESPN beforehand. And she has been basically driving Prime's, um, I'm going to say Prime, Prime Video's uh, approach to sports and sports rights from pretty much from day one. Um, so she's been involved in a lot of the major deals they've done, uh, as well as the smaller deals. Um, and she, she is very candid and, and open about the journey that they have had uh, through that. And we talk quite a lot about that, that Thursday night football investment. You know, they paid a lot of money. Many, many said they paid significantly over what the market was asking. Um, but she actually talks a bit about how she got that across the line, which is quite interesting, how she had to sell it into Bezos, which is really a cool story, actually, how, how they do look at Thursday night football just very differently to all the other sports rights they do invest in. And also how they're looking to create basically a whole new, not only sporting event, but equally uh, they call it a sporting holiday or maybe it's a shopping holiday with Black Friday. So Black Friday is something they, uh, they developed a long time ago and they've been able to work with the NFL to create a special game just for that. And so they're investing a lot of money and resource into not only Thursday night football, 
but indeed the NFL and that relationship. And one of the things I, I got her to answer is, is why don't they have more e-commerce available? Everyone knows them as an e-commerce business, yet they have very little available on the platform. You know, in real time, in those experiences, you think someone scores a touchdown, I'm expecting clicks, you know, a pair of shoes to be shown and, and sold at me. And I asked her, why, why don't you do that? And she's, she's pretty open and pretty clear why, why, that's, why they don't do it. And that is, she'll talk about it more wait, on the wait, pod. Wait, but wait, I was about to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, wanna, yeah, don't give away all the answers, yeah. Don't want to give it all away. But basically that... <laughs> They could do. They could turn it on tomorrow if they want to, but they're so focused on the consumer. That's you know that's Amazon's line, right? That they, they they're the consumer first over everything, and that that's one of the reasons they don't want to um, interrupt the viewing experience. So look, she talks a bit more about that in a much better way than I do. But lots to learn about their U.S. approach, their their global approach, and how they're making work. Um, the, how they're making sports work for them. Awesome. Well, absolutely. I- one of the top executives, obviously sports pros ranker is the best. So if there's anyone to uh, stick around to and listen about, it is definitely going to be Amazon prime video and what Marie Donahue's doing. Well, Marie, thank you for joining us today. There's plenty to dig into, um, not only in Thursday night football, but indeed uh, Amazon's approach with prime video and sports, but Thursday Night Football was the biggest uh, sports probably that you guys have really got involved with. So talk us through um, that the decision, the approach that you took with uh, the acquisition of Thursday Night Football and that partnership with, with the NFL. Sure. I'll try to make it brief. It was it was a several year process. And thank you for indulging us on that video. And, you know, a lot of times people come out with sizzle reels of just highlights, game footage. And I thought I love this video because it really shows behind the scenes um, the joy and the fun we were having. And obviously so proud of the team we put together on, on in front of the camera and behind the camera. Um, so that's one of my favorite videos. So hopefully you guys got to see some of the fun we were having and, and some of the work involved. Just quickly, you, you definitely see the scale as well as the quality uh, coming through there. You do see it in the broadcast pretty much from day one. So obviously we'll dig a bit more yeah, into that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so with the NFL, we'd been in business with the NFL for several years. We had what we call a TriCast deal where we showed Thursday night football along with uh, Fox and the NFL Network, and we just showed a streaming version. We just took the Fox feed. Um, And so we were good partners with the NFL. And when the exclusive rights became available, uh, we had two issues, obviously. We had one internally. It's really expensive. So how do we convince Amazon that it's a game changer and worth the money? Um, And then secondarily, it would be a huge move for the biggest, most successful, widely watched sport in the US to go streaming only. Um, So internally at Amazon, we make every major decision by writing a document. It's basically a five or six page document where you lay out, um, starting with the customer first, why what you are proposing is really good for the customer. And of course, why Amazon um, financial implications and things like that. So we thought really broadly about it. My team and I wrote the doc and, and we were, we literally said, you can't look at this as you look at other sports properties. This is Thursday night football. This is a chance to own Thursday night and culture in America, in the U S. Um, and so we looked at as not just sports rights to be as part of prime video, which is a membership service, um, part of prime, but also 
total game changer for marketing, both Amazon um, originals and other entertainment shows, as well as Prime. It's a, you know, there aren't that many headline benefits left. Prime is a membership service. Everyone knows about shipping. Hopefully, you know about music and Audible and other benefits you get. But the NFL makes headlines. You understand that as a real headline um, material benefit. Also for advertising and prime video, we didn't have an advertising business really. Amazon has a hugely successful um, advertising business, sneaky successful, well over 20 billion a year, um, but it's largely performance based and very much based on commerce. And, and so this, you know, the NFL for us in the US is the most premium video advertising you can inventory you can get. So it would be a game changer. Um, for advertising. And of course, my heart is all about what we can do in content. And we really thought we could bring a new, fresh approach, um, not just to the game, bring people closer to the game, make it more interactive, but also around the game. Um, and then the other step, obviously, so it worked at, at Amazon. Um, management was very, uh, they literally, Bezos turned to me and said, great idea, don't lose it. So that was a little pressure filled. But uh, <laughs> Then, then to convince the NFL. So they were a great partner of ours. Um, and the NFL, they know they're at the top of their game, but what's really impressive about them is they're always looking forward, how do they stay on top of their game? How do they stay incredibly relevant? How do they stay the most popular sport in the US? And so we really talked to them a lot about innovation, a lot about what we could bring the OTT platform, both interactivity, personalization, um, new businesses we could get in together potentially going forward. Um, so to their credit, they, they trusted us, they took a chance, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the innovations we've done and what we've had have planned going forward. And they've been a great partner um, and really, uh, the way Roger always puts it is bring every idea to my team. I want to hear everything. Um, we, of course, they're partners, so we have to approve a lot of things, but um, they really do encourage us to think broadly and think big. So getting the deal done is is almost point zero, right? Once you get yeah. there, then, then it starts a whole different process and going from a TriCast yeah. uh, taking a feed to actually taking and owning the broadcast product and proposition is a whole different ball game. So just talk us through what that was like once you got the deal done to go down that, that road. Yeah. So just to make it more difficult on ourselves, we actually, we did the deal. And then a few months later, we moved it up a year just uh, to do it a year early because an opportunity came up to have Fox get out early. Um, so my team was ready to kill me when we did that, but we moved fast. So um, yeah, so we partnered, we ended up partnering with NBC behind the scenes. And the way I put it is they don't do our production that we're, it's a huge orchestra and, um, we make all the creative decisions, all the talent decisions, the graphics, the music, everything, the approach. Um, but they, they sit in certain key seats. So they've been great partners with us. Um, Fred Gadelli's probably, I think he's won over 20 Emmys. He produced Sunday night football for years. So he's our producer. Um, Pierre, who produces the Premier League still for the NBC, for NBC, is a great partner. And then obviously, I'm incredibly proud of our team. You, you don't often get a chance in sports to start a property fresh and new. The, you know, the NFL hasn't had a partner in well over a decade, but also to start a team from scratch. So we, I think we hired, um, probably about 60 people really quickly and which is a, is a lot when you're trying to launch a property. Um, so really proud of the team behind the scenes. And, and that's, 
you know, the joy you saw in that video a little bit, a lot of the reason I was smiling was there's also a lot of the people you won't recognize, but work on my team. So um, we really had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so we had to, you know, we had to do, we had to get, we had to do a huge truck deal. You know, you call it a truck. It's actually, I think we're up to, to all in. It's usually 12 trucks that travel with us. We have the biggest footprint except for the Super Bowl. We have more cameras um, except for the Super Bowl. And uh, we've just made a huge investment to produce. We, we knew we knew we could produce a great game. We needed the resources and we needed the right people, but that's, that's just table stakes. So really proud of what we did with the game. Um, state of the art um, resources, trucks, um, as I said, more cameras. And then of course you have the technology and the technical delivery, which I don't, no one's ever served as many as many concurrent users as we have. I think I've, probably in India and cricket, they've served as many or more, but not the you know 4K quality that we do. So there was a ton of investment at Amazon that went in behind the scenes. I don't know if any other company could have done it, but uh, so really staffed up and invested. We work with AWS, had to prepare for all sorts of contingencies. We have one truck that's totally just redundant contingencies. Um, so yeah, so we're really excited. We had we had a um, we had a production offsite where we brought everybody together for the first time, and it's probably one of my most favorite days, two days of my career, because we made everybody say at the beginning why they were here and how they ended up here, and to hear the stories and the joy and the excitement. Um, we, we've just been having a ball, and we've been. I know I'm running on a little bit, but we we. Uh, We've been really happy with the reaction we've gotten from fans. So we're well over about 11 million um, a, a week watching Thursday Night Football. We're still, you know, debating a little bit with um, Nielsen the exact number, but I'll say average 11. And uh, they're younger. They watch seven hours longer. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, they're they're seven years younger than um, the average NFL audience, and they watch I think about 15 minutes longer. Um, than those who watch on television. So we've been really happy um, with the reaction we've gotten and um, obviously a bunch of different opportunities, um, optionality we offer. It's, it's all about the game. That That's one thing coming from sports. I've been in sports over 20 years. You never want to distract from the game and you have to respect the fan. And if someone just wants to sit and watch the game, they should have the absolute best experience. Um, and then you can offer them options to do other things. So, so building that, that production uh, operation to, to power that and your background in the content game, it'd be a lot of right media rights deals and so forth. How did you find that to scale up a business like that from, from your, from your lens? Like, I don't know. It sounds like a pretty massive proposition, not only losing a year as well, because you've stepped up the ball game. How did you find that experience personally? Yeah. Well, so I was at ESPN for 18 years. So obviously a lot on the business side, but I managed a bunch of content groups. So whether it be the films group or Grantland or 538. So I'd, I'd managed a lot of content that we produced with partners. So, and at Amazon, we've actually been in the sports business for several years. We've had the premier league in the UK for four years we, um, the Champions League in Italy and Germany top match. We just renewed both of those for another three years. We've produced tennis, Roland Garros in France, US Open in the UK. So we, we're quite used to producing sports, but this was just such a massive, massive undertaking. I think one thing that was really helpful, um, besides hiring the right team, was 
I was used to working with third parties. And so you have to, you know, you, anyone in the audience knows this, you can't do everything yourself. And, and so you have to be comfortable, whether it be delegating or partnering. Um, and so I had a lot of comfort if, as long as we found the right partners. So I think that really helped with us. I've, I've known Freddie since my ESPN days, and he, he's the best in the business. And obviously, um, it was a huge opportunity to bring him over. The same thing with the booth. I mean, we had um, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, uh, Kaylee Hartung on the sidelines. And you'll notice with the shoulder talent, we brought all new people, three guys right off the field, other new, young, different talent. The booth was really important to us that when people tuned in, the way I put it to the team was I need them to exhale. I need people to say, okay, they didn't screw up the game. Um, so obviously getting Al and Kirk, uh, which took a while, was w was really important to us. And so, yeah, it was a great, you know, I keep telling people your career is long, so hopefully you'll have many or at least several highlights in your career. Um, and so I've been fortunate enough to have several, and this is absolutely one of one of the big ones. You mentioned the scale um, of this proposition going, you know, fully streaming for the NFL. So it's a bit, it's a big commitment for you to and, and for Amazon to take that on, but also for NFL. Um, and obviously, you invested a lot of resource into that. How from your from your side, how did you find the you know week one uh, in terms of the delivery side? There was everyone's keeping an eye on how these things are delivered. Particularly, a lot of people in this room would be very interested in <laughs> yeah. following events and moments like that. Um, some people from from the industry would say it was an incredible achievement what was delivered. Others would say there were some challenges on the the, the broadcast delivery. But how did you see it from from your side? Yeah, from our side, it was excellent. I mean, we had, so we're on every piece of glass. So if you have an old TV, if you have a new TV, if you're trying to watch on your iPad, your computer, we are on all of them. So obviously there are some things we can't control. We can't control whether, you know, if you have a TV of 15 years old, um, we can make sure we're giving you the best signal and, and making it as, as seamless as possible. Um, but there are just some things we don't control. So from our end, we really, really were incredibly pleased and happy. Um, and a lot of our work was done through the season, just fine tuning for some of those unique experiences. How can we really um, optimize for the old televisions and things like that? So yeah, we have no complaints. Um, and obviously we're always listening to customers. So you'll notice at Amazon, um, we have numerous ways for you to contact us, including phones. <laughs> we're old school. We actually have customer service people who answer the phone. So we really just spend a lot of time listening to customers and fine tuning, but no, we, we, we were thrilled. Yeah. We, we, um, not, knock wood. Cause you know, we're only, in, we're about we're only one season in, but, uh, and that's the one thing to remind the team, you know, we launched, it was an amazing launch, but it's a long season. And if we had problems in week 10, it would be just as catastrophic. So we really have to stay focused and keep the bar raised. One of the, one of the innovations you, you did roll out was Prime Vision. Just talk us through a bit more about them. Yeah. Prime so as I mentioned, hopefully I mentioned, we have alternate feeds that we offer every week. So, you know, you can watch with Dude Perfect. You can watch with um, LeBron in the shop. Um, and one feed we do every week is Prime Vision. And this is an automated feed. We work with AWS and the NFL, a lot of um, AI involved and the opportunity, and you hear the voiceover of the main broadcast. So you hear Alan Kirk. 
Um, but we thought this was a great opportunity for those who want to learn a little more you know, was that a really hard pass? What, 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 what were they thinking when they lined up? What, um, how fast was that guy running? Um, things like that. So, it, so we just think it's a way to go deeper, give people more information. And what we found is people love that Alt 22 camera, which is actually where you can see the whole field. And that's actually the guys who are calling the game. That's the feed they watch. So that's been sneaky popular, we've noticed with fans. So this is one we will absolutely, we're testing and learning with all our alt feeds, but this is one that really, really resonated with fans. Um, both folks who are more into data and analytics. We found the betting community likes this one because there's so much data um, that's fed to them live, fed on, put on the feed live. Um, so we're absolutely continuing with this one for sure and doubling down. And one of the things we want to do is experiment. We wouldn't put all that on the main feed because it's quite distracting if, if, if you want to just sit back and watch and just watch the game. But I think you'll start to see us learn from that feed and certain things that really resonate and help us with the storytelling on the main feed. You'll start to see some things migrate from that feed. Just very quickly on that, how do you judge that? How are you, have you got a team analyzing the data on consumption to determine whether those things work better than, than other things? Absolutely. Yeah, we're always, I mean, Amazon, it's always customer first. Um, and uh, we, we're always listening to our customers. And so we watch the data really, really carefully. I also think in the end, producing a game or producing content, some is art and some is science. So it's really important for me as a, as the manager that there are people who that is their feed. That's not, you know, something, you know, off to the side that we, that producers, you know, think of as a, a potential way to learn or whatever. That's literally, we put people in charge of that feed. That's their job. Assume people are watching that feed the whole night. How do you make that the best possible experience? We nearly wrapped up on the NFL, but one question that we have to talk about is Black Friday as well, that concept. So just talk us through about that, that, that concept with the NFL. Yeah, so this started back during the NFL deal. Um, we started talking to them about how do we create new, maybe create a new football holiday. And so uh, not to be cheesy, but for Amazon, um, it's, you know, Black Friday is the top shopping day in, in the U.S. It's the top traffic day for Amazon. Um, and we, we started early conversations with the NFL. They didn't commit to it. it they, they kept an option in the deal to, to give us Black Friday. It was, we didn't get it when we first signed the deal. Um, and so I think it's a great sign of their confidence in us. Um, that we they so quickly awarded us that Black Friday game. So we're excited. We think um, with all the shopping um, that we think we'll be able to do some pretty cool things around retail um, before, after, and during the game. Um, we think uh, it's actually going to be really tricky because it's not that hard technically to serve retail offers and, and to offer to do things um, around and in the game. What's really hard is to make it intuitive, seamless and not distracting. So that's really where we're spending a lot of our time. Um, and we, we announced last week that we're actually going to offer the game in front of the prime wall. So we, uh, you know, we kind of think we've, it's a chance to create a new holiday. There are a lot of folks who are home on Friday, Black Friday, and hopefully the, it's a nice little gift for them as they start their holiday season. How much sports content is um, front of the wall, so to speak? Um, talk about Black Friday. Is there anything else you do there? Was this the first move in that regard? Yeah, we don't put too much in front of the wall. We've, um, we've done different things in Europe. You know, we have League One, which is um, different. It's a channel we sell in um in in france and so we've experimented there trying to do some some um 
exposure. Um, but most most of what we do is behind the prime wall. But you know, prime in the U.S. it's ubiquitous. It's almost a utility. It's it's so widely distributed, um, as widely distributed almost as broadcast television. So we really we we really focus on bringing value to customers. And so so much of what you 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 don't need to pay extra if you're a prime member. And so many people are. One one of the things I think everyone um, what is discussing in this business is around monetization of of sports and sports rights. The e-commerce layer to this, and you've touched upon already, but the e-commerce layer to this is, I mean, Amazon's secret sauce, I suppose, or not so secret. It's the whole business is built around the commerce side. Yet you have been quite cautious to integrate. You've said there are some challenges around that. Just can you give us an ex- explanation of as to why you have been so cautious? I mean, from my own personal perspective, I'm I'm ex- almost expecting Amazon to be yeah. to bring something to the table on that commerce side. I guess it's Black Friday an opportunity to perhaps bring that to life. Yeah, a it's more. a great. So we've been offering commerce on Thursday Night Football for several years. Uh, to be honest, we're not thrilled with the experience yet because it's the one thing that actually, if you purchase, it takes you out of the live experience, which we don't like. So we haven't really focused on, on promoting that too much. And of course, we want to make sure we have the best the best product. And sometimes sports can be tricky based on licenses, exclusive licenses and things like that. So we want to make sure we have the best product. So I think what you'll see us do with Black Friday is obviously focus on it being seamless and intuitive. Um, but it can't... Um, it's really important for us that we delight customers, that we not annoy them. So I don't think you'll be, you, you won't see us be overly aggressive. You'll see us similar to what we did this year with the alternate feeds and the different interactivity. We'll start to lean into it, but we'll, you, you guys are sports fans. You know, when you're watching a game, the worst thing is to have someone jump in with a promotion or something that distracts you. So I think, I think we're not announcing anything yet, but I think what we'll really, you'll see us really focus on the opportunity, the opportunity when you're not in the live game. So I think you'll see a lot pre, post, and half. Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, NFL and Thursday Night Football and Black Friday. I want to expand it a little bit to the global side of things. You mentioned a couple of the sports properties already. There's also relationships with one championship, boxing in Japan, overtime elite, a Champions League football you've discussed, NBA League Pass in Brazil and other markets, the DAZN carriage deal, um, which is uh, a global it's quite an eclectic mix of sports and, and countries you're in. So I'm just really curious that how, how have you decided to take on those opportunities where you have taken on those opportunities? Because I'm guessing you'll be get, getting presented with a lot over, uh, over the global marketplace. Yeah, so we're a global sports group. So we cut across um, every country except China um, for Amazon. And so we do have the opportunity to bring sports to all these different countries. And we're part of Prime. Um, and Prime is Prime is in, in you know well over 240 countries as well, and in so many countries, in several countries, actually Prime Video is the way people get introduced to Prime. In the U.S., we're so used to shipping, and and then Prime Video is another benefit. But in several countries, um, it, the actual Prime Video is the first thing people. Have, um, interact with. Uh, yeah, so we, we start with the customer and sports is incredibly local. So we s- consider ourselves or try to quickly become sports experts in that country. And we work with our local leaders um, in Amazon and 
both Amazon as well as Prime Video leaders in those countries. What we found is similar to the U.S. is what we found is what really breaks through are the marquee sports properties. So, you know, in Japan, we just launched the World Baseball Classic. Baseball is incredibly popular in Japan, especially the Japanese team. And so we're blowing through our projections there. Um, just, uh, you know, and, and you, if you don't understand or do your research on Japan, you, people may not know baseball is usually popular there. So we do ultimately start with the country, start with the customer in that country. And we have an opportunity, um, to have, we have different models. We can put things in prime video. We can do channels as you talked about in the U S we had deals with MOB for MOB TV, NBA for league pass and NBA TV. We previously had PGA previously had UFC without having big exclusive licensing deals, we offered channels for those partners. So, so we have the opportunity to, to experiment with different models. Um, but it's literally, it's the same. I have, a, I have a team that manages our global sports, our sports business outside the U S and it's the same thing. We work on strategies. What, what, what is the, what is the predicament or the situation for sports fans in that country? How can we improve it in terms of selection, convenience, or value? And then what are the opportunities coming up in the, um, you know, short, medium term? And it's the same thing. We do documents. We lay out what, what the general um, opportunity we see in the country, if any. And then we look at each property and figure out which ones make sense and which ones... Um, can really improve um, the the situation for sports fans. We also, you remember, because we're a streamer, it's a great opportunity. We can be more interactive. We can have more two-way communication. We can serve customization. There are a lot of countries where we have to forward invest in technology, in streaming, um, even in people in the ground. It doesn't make sense to launch a sports property if I don't believe, unless you have marketing, you have a marketing team on the ground in that country. So things like we launched NBA in Brazil a few months ago, it's going gangbusters, but we had to have the resources and the forward investment in that country before we could launch because we don't want to launch and then have a bad experience. So experience is pretty key to all this. From a measurement perspective of success, it sounds like the NFL might be a little bit different because you talked about the cultural cultural opportunity that, yeah. that, that plays, but generally, how are you measuring what success looks like? Is it views? Is it, me is it membership signups? How, how does that play out? Yeah, pretty much all of that. So as I mentioned, we're part of, we're part of Prime, which is a membership service. So obviously we, um, we look at opportunities to acquire new members. When we launched the Premier League four years ago in the UK, um, or three years ago, we had just the festive period. So it's only 20 matches, but we showed all of them, um, which was unique at the time in the UK. The first, uh, they were the first, they, they were the most successful prime sign-up days ever in the UK. And we've seen that in several countries. So obviously acquisition is important. Um, then we also, it's a marketing opportunity. So if we can bring fans in, um, they'll see more, they'll see more benefits to prime, but also on prime video, it's a huge broad entertainment service. So if we can get people who are prime members to try prime video, because a lot of people have access to prime video and, and don't use it or have, are not aware of they've used it, that, that they have access to it. So having things like Thursday night football or the premier league gets people to actually activate prime video, even though they already own a prime membership. And then of course, engagement is important. Um, we, we, it's, um, it's incredibly important to prime video that we keep fans engaged and that's across entertainment as well as sports. And then finally, um, ad sales, you know, the funny thing about sports is when you don't have ad sales, fans actually miss it. 
Um, so we, we have a huge, we think we have a huge advertising opportunity. So we also measure those metrics. So we're almost out of time. So we're going to bring up some questions from the audience. There were reports in negotiations for Sunday tickets that global rights were a must have for Amazon. Are global rights generally a, a priority for sports going forward? Or is it that more localized approach that you've talked about before? Yeah. So it's interesting. We, we do look at things locally, but obviously it's we're, we think we're fairly unique or amongst a few set of potential global partners. So we do look potentially at global um, global opportunities. It's something obviously MLS has done with Apple, but it's 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 a place where a lot of rights holders have not gone there yet. But we certainly talk about it, um, and and we talk about it not just in terms of us because we have the opportunity to offer things globally, but we actually think we can provide that benefit to partners, to league partners, because so many of them are trying to grow their footprint and their relevance outside the U.S. We actually think we have a great opportunity to help them. So we actually see it oftentimes as a benefit. So you're, you're, in, you're in the mix competing or looking at a lot of media rights globally, particularly markets like the U.S., your, your core market, where you're fighting over some competing for some pretty premium sets of rights with some pretty big sports broadcasters who not only have the um, broadcast opportunity, but also they pr produce editorial, shoulder content, magazine content. And Prime Video is pretty limited on that side for sports generally from what I, I've seen or have you guys have been investing to that? Do you find that a, a, an area that you're focused on more now? Yeah, we're absolutely. Well, and you even saw on the video we showed, we thought our shoulder programming on the NFL was really important. And it, it's for those of you who are sports fans, it's interesting. If you actually think about sports brands, you think of Fox or ESPN or others, when you actually think about their brand, a lot of times it's established by their shoulder programming as opposed to the actual game broadcast. So we think it's important from a brand perspective. We think it's really important for us because we are not, don't have 24-7 sports, so we don't want to start the audience from a standing start every time we have a game or event. Um, so, no, we're very focused on shoulder programming. And then also last year we started an original entertainment sports group um, that so we're doing documentaries and we're looking at other series. We've had a lot of success with Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, a, show, a series we produced this year and we're announcing a doc today. Um, I'm not sure I can say what it is, but uh, that we're announcing one today. We also had... Um, a great documentary in the fall be about the um, the U.S.-Mexico soccer rivalry. Yeah, so it's something, it's close to my heart. It's something I've spent a lot of time, a lot of my career um, on. And it's just, I just think it's a great opportunity to serve and engage with fans more and more touch points. What, one final question I, on before we do wrap up. The, the U.S. market, as I said, is a very competitive one. You've invested in one of, into the, one of the biggest sports, the biggest sport, um, and one of the biggest sports rights that are available. There's, a, there's the NBA coming up. There's other rights coming up. Just how much more, and you've got also a very mature uh, membership base now. Mm -hmm. um, just how much more investment do you think you're going to continue to make in the U.S. market, given the position of that you've, you've reached such scale um, with the, the wider prime membership offering? Yeah, I think what well, well, I actually think a lot of the sports markets and coming from Europe, they're incredibly competitive and um, and incredibly regulated and very, <laughs> bids come up practically you sign a deal and then you're up for they're up for bid again. You hardly have time to grow the sport and then you're having to bid again on it. So I find a lot of territories pretty competitive. Um, no, we we look I we if if we are long term thinkers, we see a huge opportunity with sports. If we were going to stop due to our penetration, we wouldn't have bought the NFL. So no, we're excited. We think 
not just me, sports is obviously the most certain, I think the most risk-less content you can buy. The only question is, can you do it in a way that's economically rational? And so that's a lot of what my time is spent on. And there's a huge advertising opportunity in the U.S. We don't miss that. So we think there's plenty of growth to, in the sports business in the U.S. Plenty more to come for sports and plenty more to come from Amazon. But thank you very much, Marie, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.